Welcome to the Wandering Berry Center podcast, episode 13. I am your host, Brian. Alex over here. Hi, everyone. Hope everybody is doing well. Um, I want to start today's podcast off with a statement that Wandering Berry Center podcast does not collect or distribute any personal information by accessing our website or anything like that. Obviously, with the news these days. Yeah, good call, um, bringing that up. <laughs> I think that's important. Stay, to know. We'll, we'll stay. We'll stay out of the politics. I mean, but, we don't do that yet. <laughs> we might. Who knows? Right. Once the dollar signs start coming in, yeah, you never know. Yeah. At the moment, also full disclosure, we don't have anybody's information to give. <laughs> <at. laughs> I'm going to shop my own information around. There we go. I can sell you a data set that spans two people. <laughs> and it's very selective, very... Con- <laughs> also similar. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, that's all That's all craziness. I suppose the, the date for future reference is March 20th. So right now, the uh, there's some Facebook news, which... Well, I, it's more than say, that. Facebook was the, the tool that was exploited, yes. but the bigger picture is... The, much scarier the corruption is unreal yeah it's unreal uh, it hurts to read those articles it does right? it's you sit, painful you sit there and you sit there and you read them and no oh, we're humanity's fucked <laughs> not to be too not to be too dark pessimism this, uh, wonderful <laughs> spring day but, uh, it's officially spring today isn't it it is happy spring fucking uh, yep. it's a solstice right that's what uh, yeah that's what they say I don't follow any of that stuff. My gauge of spring is when the um, when people around you start driving their nice cars again. I was going to guess when they start filling in the potholes. <sighs> well, then you're always waiting. Yeah. I, I read some... Uh, there was an article I was looking at not too far after that episode where somebody laid out how it's actually just more expensive to fill in the potholes. Oh, yeah. Than fixing the road? I can't recall if we talked about that explicitly. I don't think but... I don't think so, but or at least not in detail. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean it's because I, I it's just procrastination, either... right? Because I, I guess the only solution really is to once a pothole defeating asphalt is created, you just rip up all the roads and you put that down. Right. Otherwise, otherwise, be prepared to speed up or slow down. Uh, to jump a pothole. You might jump it. You might slam on the brakes. You might meet somewhere in the middle. You might just go 100 the whole time so that you're kind of <laughs> skipping over the minefield, gliding. And this is, full, this is of course, not uh, the Wandering Berry Center podcast advice. It is the state of Michigan's advice. Right, right, right. Oh, what was their, I remember their first uh, thing was to be vigilant. Right yes, away, they're like, course. this is your problem. <laughs> we have nothing to do with this. <laughs> and then they ended, if I recall correctly, they ended it with uh, telling you that when your car inevitably gets destroyed, yeah. it's your problem. <laughs> it's your problem. Things will fail. and It's on you. It's on you. In fact, the first question when you try to report that is, did you speed up? <laughs> or... <laughs> and then when you say yes, will they, they'll say... Well, you should have slowed down. I also really love 
the picture of the pothole they chose to put on the site. <laughs> it was so puny. <laughs> it was not at all representative of what's actually out there. Oh, man. Can you tell that we're salty? <laughs> at least I am. <laughs> yeah, again, I don't know what... Yeah, we just don't have them out here. Well, don't take that for granted. No. I don't take a lot of this stuff out here for granted. It's a nice place. Too many people, though, but that's that's not unique. Yeah, we don't have a population so, problem here. <laughs> people, people, people just get swallowed up by those potholes, and that's the end of it. Yep, that's right. Keep the population under control. Do you have any other other? I didn't. I didn't. I sprung that on you. The whole joke there about uh, the current information thing. Do you have any other? Oh, how dare you? Yeah. Anything to bring up before we jump into the fun? Yeah. Um, no, I say we we go with All it. Right. Let's do it. So I'm going first today, and I thought it would be fun to go through. So I, I came across this just browsing the internet and whatnot, um, and I also studied it in my psychological past. That's strange sounding. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so there's a big list of what are called cognitive biases Ooh. and basically cognitive biases. It's just a fancy term for like ways people think or ways people think about a particular set of criteria. So we're not going to go through them in a necessarily like scientific fashion. I just thought it would be fun to postulate on the purpose or like why some of these things exist. But first, a, a bit about the cognitive biases themselves. So the definition, at least from uh, Wikipedia, cognitive biases are systematic patterns of deviation from norm or rationality judgment and are often studied in psychology and behavioral economics. Hmm. The issue I have with that, though, is once you see the size of the list for cognitive biases, on some level, you could argue what is normal and what is irrationality in judgment. So you know, we can, I, I have somewhat of an answer to that, I guess, at the end of this, but the list of these things is so long mm -hmm. that it's almost as if someone has set or a group or whatever has sat down and identified basically how people react to every type of cognitive situation. So anytime anybody is presented with a situation there, of course, this is not entirely true, but there appears to be a cognitive bias for almost every situation. So hmm. really, to me, the, the list has almost mapped out to just be like, here's different ways people might think about a given set of criteria. It's not. I almost think the term biases is not necessarily the right way to go, but that was also thought of people far smarter than me. So I'm not going to, you know go against it that much sure, so before we start going through the list here um i'm just looking at my notes here so evolution right people uh, as as humans evolve and whatnot um a lot of these things you might you i thought it might be fun to look for how they're either useful or hurtful to the evolution of humanity okay because obviously evolution is not purposeful it's accidental right so a, yeah, a fish it's... accidentally grows a pair of, uh, I don't know, uh, 
accidentally gets feet. Right. You know, the fish that was born didn't plan on getting feet. It accidentally, through a mutation, got feet. Right. Right. That was. Just and the then way... it was able to to use those feet. I'm obviously super glossing over a lot here, but. But is able to use those feet to be to be more advantageous than its peers, right, right? Right. So it was the one to reproduce. But gaining each step in evolution, it wasn't like it was a planned thing; it was accidental. Okay. So these forms of thinking, these ways that people think and address situations, on some level, either have to be helpful, yeah, or accidental and 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 therefore hurtful. And I thought it might be fun to try and think about, you know, for each one of those. I'll start off with my traditional pessimistic self. <laughs> Most of these definitely appear hurtful. Really? <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's partially because I think of what the definition is, patterns of deviation from the norm or rationality in judgment. Yeah. So I guess by definition they might, and the term bias also somewhat implies not negativity, but uh, a deviation from the norm, I guess. Right, right. So anyway, let's let's jump into it. You'll know what I mean here. So the first one at the top of the lift, top of the lift, top <laughs> of the list. Get up there. So the first one that I picked out was called is called the ambiguity effect, and its short definition is the tendency to avoid options for which missing information makes the probability seem unknown. So you have a given scenario. Okay. And basically people avoid choosing an option. So let's say you, you have to get somewhere and you have a, a number of different routes. Okay, sure. And those different routes actually might make your destination a little bit unknown. Um, you're going to avoid the option which has the most unknowns basically okay. you're gonna you're essentially gonna you're gonna go yeah. with the option that you at least believe is gives you the most information from start to finish and this so is actually a con you know, this is a conscious decision that i'm doing or no not necessarily no these are not necessarily conscious okay um in fact i guess most of them are not conscious in the sense that you're not sitting there going, ah, I'm suffering from the ambiguity effect, but their, <laughs> their manifestations are real. So actually right. a better example of this would be um, f uh, when buying a house, mm -hmm. people by far and away choose the fixed rate mortgage. And that allows them to see over the 30 years exactly what they're going to pay sure. from start to finish every, every payment, right? Because it's a fixed rate. So the opposite of that is the variable rate mortgage, which statistically actually does end up coming out to be less. So if you allow your mortgage rate to fluctuate between every month or every year or whatever it is, mm -hmm. statistically speaking, you end up paying less, but you at the start of this contract have no idea what your floating rate is going to be mm -hmm. over the next, you know, at any given point, you right. don't know what the rate is. Right. So by, by and large, people go with what they know. They go with what they can point to and say that there's the end goal. And I know exactly, not only do I know the end goal, but I know I have a map to get there. Yeah. That, that's perfect. I mean, that makes sense to me that somebody would choose that over. Right. So this is one of the ones that I think is positive. Okay. In, in yeah, a certain I sense, right? Yeah. Even though in that example, yes, they're losing money. 
the ability to plan and know exactly what you need to budget for every month or every payment, whatever it is, um, seems pretty advantageous, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I can see the, uh, the argument for that for sure. Hmm. So that's an interesting one. It's it's, but again, you can kind of see it's like, is that really like a bias or is that? I guess that one actually. That almost just sounds like that. somebody's desire to have control over the situation. Nobody wants you to could, really, you know, have no control over what's happening. Right, but someone who so this someone who is so inclined who who knows what they're doing in this in this example, at least continuing with the housing example. Yeah. Uh, someone who has done the research to avoid the ambiguity effect would find out that, statistically speaking, I guess their goals would also have to be aligned if their goal is to save money. But they might be able to find out that, statistically speaking, if they go with the floating rate, the variable rate, um, they'll end up saving money. Right. But I guess that one really, as as you kind of, I think you were saying, it's not, I almost don't know if that's a bias. It's just like, what kind of person are you? Yeah, are you somebody that likes to take a risk or, you know, are you somebody who would play the safe route even if it, you know, isn't guaranteed or it's guaranteed to be what you know as a, you know, you might recognize that the other option could be better, but you can't help but focus on that it could be worse. Right. You're not willing to take that chance. (laughs) Right. Um, so the next one uh, that I thought was good to talk about, and actually I meant to say this at the top here, uh, a little info about these things. This information, the the, the identifying of these biases mm-hmm. is uh, is really really recent. Um, some of them is late, or I'm sorry, some of them is recent as like 2013. Oh, really? 2014. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Very recent. Who's doing the work uh, on this? Like psychologists and and different, you know. Yeah scientists that are studying psychology and they're 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 observed behaviors you know it's very difficult to scientifically i guess for lack of a better term prove one thing or the other so the way a lot of these things are are sort of put down on paper is scientists and researchers will present a gr- a population with a a decision to make and 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 have certain criteria and, and whatever the particular mm-hmm. experiment I, right. I've picked out a couple and just record the observed results. So obviously nobody's going into the mind and saying, ah, there's the ambiguity effect <laughs> right there. I've got it. Um, so yeah, a lot of this stuff spans like, let's say 1950s, 1961 ish. Okay. Th- through today. Mm-hmm. So one of the next one that I picked out, um, which I think is really relevant to the current uh, just discussions that are going on across, you know, social media and all that stuff and people looking at uh, and having access to information so quickly. This one's called anchoring. Anchoring. Okay. Like a ship anchor. Yeah. And it describes the common human tendency to rely too heavily on the first piece of information offered when making a decision. Oh. So people are, are naturally, appears at least. Uh-huh. I'm gonna, I guess I'll use the term naturally biased to just whatever the first thing is, that's it. That's really? what they're going with. And I think this there's there's other sort of sub ones that uh, make it into this. 
Um, but I think this plays itself into like debate. The, uh, I'm mean? sure a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of people have heard or maybe firsthand experienced, but like, it's very hard to change someone's mind. Oh, sure. In my opinion. Yeah. yeah. And I think that has, yeah, part, that might I don't be know if it's extending beyond what you're describing and just that people think that they're right. <laughs> most of the time, right? Yeah. Well, and anchoring, anchoring is a, is specific to making a decision. Yeah. A lot of these biases are, are talking about decision-making, but if you're having a debate with someone and they're just refusing to change their mind, they're, I guess, in some sense, they're making a decision to stand by whatever, um, uh, flag they're waving at that moment. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Reg- no, I guess regardless I get of, regardless of additional evidence. And there is actually, I, I don't know if I picked that one out specifically, but there is a, a bias specifically for that where people just reject any additional <laughs> evidence. They're just like, nope, not interested. Seems to be pretty common, at least in my experience. Yeah. So the anchoring thing is just like, it's crazy. So like someone on, on Facebook, they see a particular anything, I don't know. And then later on, they go to buy a car. Yeah. And the first car, the ad that they saw was for a Hyundai. So bam, Hyundai. Yeah. This one, um, I, this is that one I think because has a they're lot like, of... Are they comfortable with that first decision subconsciously just because they're like, well, I found it first. First is better. You know, there must be a reason I found it first, maybe. Um, not that they're thinking these things discreetly, but um, I just wonder why why that first thing is appealing like that. A lot of these things, like if you go look at the, the literature about them, they're very easy to demonstrate and say, you know, you put a situation out there and people make a decision. Mm-hmm. You say, okay, you, an- you anchored yourself to that first thing, but to explain why, I mean, we're, we're hearkening back a bit to that neurotransmitter thing. Like we don't even really know how the brain, how millions and billions of neurons ultimately result in a consciousness. Sure, we don't sure. understand that. Yeah. So a lot of this stuff, I don't, I don't think, is really explainable from a why perspective. We can only point to and saying, you know, there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but one thing that is, uh, as I was reading through this stuff, one thing that comes up a little bit is like, they sometimes will reference for some of these, like anchoring is one of them. It takes real work. And a lot of times they like specify like, IQs and like smarter people are like, it takes real work to avoid this stuff and academics and whatnot have to like sit down and talk through usually at least with other academics or whatever and say, am I suffering from anchoring? (laughs) Am I, you know, latching onto this piece of information too much? And at least for myself, like uh, at work, when I'm making decisions, I, I do actively try to think to myself, am I, I mean, I'm not, I guess, ultimately, I'm not very good at it, or it's hard to avoid and hard to identify, but I'm, I try to at least be cognizant of the fact that, am I considering all the facts? Am right. I <clears throat> considering sure. how it impacts other people? Am I this and that? Yeah, I'm trying to think of some examples um, where I may have anchored in the past. Um, um, hmm. Ooh. So it's specifically decision making, and you've made a decision 
based off the first piece of info. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm gonna. Th- it's it's definitely marketing heavy. Like I could see, I probably bought something because it was the name brand that I saw first. Yeah. Um, hmm. I'm thinking of um, since I've purchased quite a few used cars <laughs> in my day. Um, when searching for a car, it's very easy to get hooked on the first. I mean, let's exclude things that you know you're not going to buy. If I see a, a car that's unreasonable because of price, whether it's way too low or way too high, probably more likely, um, that's not going to be the, the thing I'm latched onto. But let's say I'm looking for forerunners and I find the first one that I find that's really good. You know, it's hard to, even if you find one that's equally as good, next, you're always coming back to that first one that you found, I think. That's my example. <laughs> uh, yeah, and actually a motorcycle, a used motorcycle that I bought. I bought it because it was one of the first ones that I saw, mm-hmm. and I really wanted it, and I ignored a lot of red flags. Right, you I might even, yeah, you might be acknowledging <laughs> that it's a bad idea. <laughs> but I still but did you it. still, yeah. Because it was a Yamaha, and that's what I wanted. All right, so here's the question. Mm-hmm. Good, or, good or bad for humanity, anchoring? Uh, um, well, I kind of instantly thought of a lot of times you're correct on your first assumption. That's what I was And I think too. that's like, I can't reference um, anything specific, but there's a book I was reading once. I told you about it. Um, and they talk about that a little bit. And I believe there's statistical evidence for that actually being true for whatever reason that people are more likely to be right on their first guess or, you know, answer on something than, than to then flip flop on choices and whatever. So I think in that sense, if that is true, um, which I would say in my life experience tends to be true somewhat often, um, that it's a good thing in that sense. I was thinking too similar that I guess as my initial gut reaction was, this is terrible for humanity. People are not evaluating additional information. And, but then I thought about the sort of, in a lot of situations, especially survival situations, the immediacy of decision-making is often key. You need to make a decision. You don't have time to sit there and consider things and ponder things for days. You got to make a decision, you know, you Mm got to make a decision now. But is anchoring, is it um, consider how much, you know, the other things that I'm weighing in my decision? Like, not specifically for anchoring. Like I said, there is one that talks about like people actively rejecting additional information past their initial feeling. This one is specifically talking about just the first thing. Right. So you're because I might be anchoring hard on something, but doesn't mean I'm not considering 25 cars and taking. a month to do that but ultimately coming back to that first one yeah i guess time's not a factor in this one but i do see exactly what you're saying obviously yeah so yeah i thought i don't know my gut reaction was this one's bad but i could it might not be it might not be black and white good or bad right somewhere in between the answer nobody wants uh so the next one Mm -hmm. that i picked out is called fading affect biased Say that again. Biased. Jeez, jeez. My English today. <laughs> it's my fifth language. Um, 
initially the fading affect, A-F-F-E-C-T, bias. Okay. Fading affect bias. Uh, what this one is, is a tendency for um, the emotional, gee, oh my goodness, emotional valence of certain events fades over time. So basically the emotional strength of negative events usually, um, they fade over time. Sure, yeah. Well, and so I should say that there is, it does talk about the fact that it's it can be positive or negative, but later studies seem to seem to show that the observed behavior is that negative emotions fade faster than positive ones. Hmm. Um, so this one's older than most. It goes back to uh, a Kaysen study. Mm-hmm. Kaysen, I believe, is the guy, 1932. Um, and then another guy, Holmes, in 1970, uh, did more. Um, so the why on this one... So this one... So yeah, just again, it uh, you have a, a negative life event... And basically, your mind is like, let's let's get that out of here, and it does that faster. You forget about the, you don't necessarily forget about the event, but the emotional intensity specifically is what fades. Mm-hmm. Right. So you might mm-hmm. have a death in the family, and your your mind or your body, whatever, um, quicker than a positive memory, tries to to lessen the intensity of the negative emotions associated with that memory. Hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of where the saying, uh, tragedy plus time equals comedy, right? Is or that time heals right? all wounds. I think. Sure. Yeah. Both. Are... <laughs> yeah. I, that is, has been said. Yes. Yeah. Tragedy. Yeah. Um, right. Because over time, the, <clears throat> the significance of the, the emotional significance of the event, you know, world war two to you and me is, is a different thing than someone who went through it. Sure. Yeah, but Although that's that's not a good analogy though. Well, because no, we didn't, I mean we, that, didn't live, that's, we didn't live through it. Sure, that's true. But that kind of debunks what I said because World War Two still isn't funny. So that's not well. Uh, humor isn't really part of this one, I would say. No, and actually, well, now I'm thinking about like you wouldn't say that the war, the Mongolian Wars of the 1200s, were funny either. No. It's pretty awful. More yeah. people died. No, during it's that actually just problem. bad. Yeah. <laughs> so this one, I think, is pretty obvious that it's a positive thing. Okay. Why? From the sense that, just from a mental health, I guess while I was approaching it from sort of a mental health uh, perspective, where you don't want to mire in the negativity of an event sure you need to move you need to to be healthy and to continue you need to move on okay so your mind has recognized okay this is a bad thing Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily forget about the event itself but let's steal ourselves to the the weight of it all sure i could definitely see where it's positive um specifically like a death in a family or something like you said before but i could see where it would be negative if this was like um, an event that impacts many people Ooh, or communities. I was just gonna... And if you don't learn from it, if you just dismiss it too quickly, then you might let it happen again. Excellent point. Sort of like the um, yes. history repeats itself thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 So like a war 
once a couple generations have gotten away from a war, they've forgotten what the war was fought about. They've forgotten how awful it made everybody feel and right. how terrible it was. And they're at risk of, of falling into the same pattern. Mm-hmm. That is negative. So I would probably argue that the positive outweighs the negative most of the time. Because like you said, you don't want everybody just like lolling around in depression all the time. I mean, that's a huge issue, but... Um, but then, your point is well taken in that if we don't remember the significance, the emotional weight of some tragedy, hmm, you know, you're not necessarily doomed to repeat it, but it's... You're not... You're not I can see where you don't learn from it. And yeah. Clearly, humans have, have not learned from plenty of things. Sure. I'm pretty sure um, there was... <laughs> And maybe I'll regret bringing this up, but there was a uh, another school incident today. Yeah, right. Yes, so, there was. I mean, that just keeps happening and happening and happening. And I don't know if that's directly, a, you know, this example, but people are certainly desensitized to it. That's for sure. At least those yeah. not directly involved. I'm sure there's a a, li- an, a specific one in here that would address. So that's the thing is a lot of these things, like a lot of situations you could assign multiple, oh, yeah. you could break down totally. into multiple, multiple cognitive biases. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one, yeah. Fading affect bias. Uh, the next one <laughs> to bring it up a little bit. Uh, I think a lot of us have heard of this one, but it's one of the, one of the ones I mentioned is really recent. The cheerleader effect. Hmm. What's that? Have you heard? No. Do you know? Okay. The, the che- <laughs> The cheerleader effect, and I'm reading, this is from Wikipedia. Um, (laughs) It's quoted, at least, though. The phrase was coined by the character Barney Stinson in Not a Father's Day, an episode of the television series How I Met Your Mother first aired in 2008. Barney points out to his friends a group of women that initially seem attractive, but whom all seem to be very ugly when examined individually. Oh. So, basically, you have a group. I'm going to use, well, we can use men. You have a group of men who are all standing together and observed as a whole, the attractiveness of the group, let's say, is a seven. You're but just as like soon as averaging you, them all together. As soon as you start examining individually, there might be one nine in the group, mm-hmm. but the rest are like fours and fives or threes or whatever. Bringing the rest of the, the group down. <laughs> hmm. I guess, yeah. <laughs> um but this one I thought was So this is legitimately recognized? The term was backed up by research by Drew Walker and Edward Vol in 2013 and Von Ulsch in 2015. Okay, well. So this one's crazy recent. Might have to check the credentials on those on those folks. Uh <laughs> I'm kidding. The <laughs> I got to look at the PDF for the 2013 one. That's just interesting that it stemmed from a TV show. Uh, it is kind of right. Like it seems like really they came up with that first. This effect occurs with male only, female only, and mixed gender groups hmm. and both small and large groups. The participants in studies looked more at the attractive peep. This explains it a bit. People in the studies looked more at the attractive people in the group rather than the unattractive people. So your your natural inclination is to 
assess a group and, and but specifically you're interested in the most attractive people in the group mm-hmm. so you sort of ignore the other ones i guess <laughs> is probably what is what's going on so looking at it from the group's perspective if one dude is the nine in the group i mean classic tactic right is to keep the fours around to make him look better yeah right, that's what's <laughs> yeah. happening I guess. Or would he be better off on his own because he is actually a solid nine? Ooh. I think he's so good looking that it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this man? Tell me more. We have things to All learn. right, so positive or negative, this one, may, I don't even know. Uh, I don't know. What is, uh, I don't know what it does, like, what is the what is the manifestation? Okay, so sure, the the thing exists. You look at a group, and sure, you think, ah, oh, that whole group is very attractive. But who cares? I feel like it's like, going to make there's... me join a group without really considering everything. Like, wow, that group looks great. Are you talking like purely aesthetics, like in a? Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. We are talking purely aesthetics, but okay, maybe. So maybe I would. It, it maybe... doesn't include me, like saying, "Wow, that cult." Looks crazy cool. I'm going to join no, it. No, no. Okay, no. not included. All right, well but then... The... Hmm. Go ahead. The aesthetic side of it speaks to the genes of the people in the group. So if we're talking like reproduction, I guess, there's some. There's a link there maybe. You look at a group of attractive people mm-hmm. and... You think that that group has good genes, so you might take anybody out of the group? I don't know. Like people I'm, are more likely to reproduce because they're in groups. Because they're in groups. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens if a group of five men and a group of five women just clash on the street? Do oh they my just gosh! I think they fight. Five babies. <laughs> <laughs> now this one's weird. Well, I thought take, I picked this one because it was funny. You take the best-looking but... woman and you put them with, put her with the least attractive man and then you kind of work your way across like that and eventually um it all the still balances group. out right i get i don't know yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this one i picked out both because it was funny and i didn't i couldn't really answer the question as to like positive or negative yeah i think it just is it just is which again for me going back to the my first one of my first statements about all this stuff it's like this is just a list of things people think about in, in a lot of ways or were ways that people think. Right. It's not necessarily a, I guess the, whether they know, realize keep, it or not though. Yeah. I guess this one is a bias though, because I'm eating my words here because you, you are biased into thinking that the whole group, everybody in the group is of a certain level of attractiveness when in reality that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So this one actually, I guess, really is a true bias. Yeah. I mean. Right on. You're more inclined to think of the group as more attractive in general than any individual on their own. So, yeah, without thinking about it. So. Uh, one interesting thing to note about this one, though, <clears throat> a 2015 replication of the Walker, the, the 2013 study, mm-hmm. failed. In, in to reproduce the effects, hmm. it was hypothesized that this might be due to cu- cultural differences as this particular, the reproduction study, uh, was performed in Japan. As opposed to, I didn't catch where the first one was performed, but not Japan. 
So what does that mean? Like Japanese people don't find other Japanese people attractive? I have no idea what that means. <laughs> hmm. Just thought I would toss it into the fire. Interesting. Try to avoid that ambiguity effect. <laughs> was that the first one? That was the first one. Yeah. You're suffering from fading affect bias. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Um. So the next one, uh, we won't. We won't. Uh, I guess I, I did grab a bunch of these, but. Uh, this next one I thought was another quite interesting one, and then I'll, I, we could just name a couple more and, and talk about them. Uh, just to say that the list, at least the the Wikipedia list, which I did more research than just Wikipedia, although I'm not really using it right now. One more source. List Come of, on, we know. <laughs> well, you follow, you know, well, you follow the sources on uh, on Wikipedia, but you, I ended up not really needing to use it right now. But the list of it has got to be what. 150, 200 items long. Wow, really? Yeah. And it's split up into different categories. Uh, there are four categories. You have too much inf- So things that happen when you have too much information, things, ways that you think when you have not enough information, mm-hmm. ways to think when you need to act fast, and how should you, what and how should you remember things is at least the... <clears throat> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I could work on that one. Uh, the so the next one, denomination effect, is a form of cognitive bias relating to currency. Two thousand nine is one of the dates for studies on this one, so again, pretty recent. And it basically boils down to people are willing are more willing to spend money when it's in smaller denominations than when it's in larger. So if you give someone a hundred dollar bill mm-hmm. and you give the next person five twenties. The person with the five twenties is gonna spend is more likely to spend that money. Oh, I'm definitely person, guilty of that for sure. Right? This one yeah. I saw in myself immediately. Relatable. <laughs> um, and it comes down to everything. Like if you if you turn your currency into other things like apples or whatever. Yeah. It it continues on. Um. So. But this one, I where does this one come from? Like. You mean God. like in cognitively? Where does it come from? Why does it exist? Like what? What is the barrier? I bet to... you because well, yeah, because I'm physically seeing more of something, so I I subconsciously Feel think like I you have, have more. more. Of it. Yeah. Yep. As opposed to one. I mean, specifically with money, a hundred dollar bill is the same size as a twenty. So if I have five of those things that are that size, then, you know, your brain's playing a little bit of a trick on you. You have more of it. Right. I th- I would think. So do you think that you said that was in 2009 it was discovered? Um, let's see. The the 2009 was when it was put into a paper mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a, a journal, a scientific journal. I didn't find a specific date as far as when it was first sort of identified i was wondering uh, if maybe um because that was a time of significant economic downturn right were they trying to sure get was. people to spend more money <laughs> <laughs> their experiment the 2009 experiment built on earlier research uh including one by a harvard business professor John Goreville in 1998. Hmm, okay. So 10 years earlier. Gotcha. 
Um, but this one I thought was interesting because I guess, I mean, I almost see it having less of an effect if we, if we take out money and we, let's say you're bartering with apples and you're bartering apples for chickens. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it doesn't I guess really work. I'm is, not going to have one apple that's worth five right. apples. I was, I was going to say this, oh, this one seems to be like a new thing that our minds have had to deal with since the evolution of currency. Hmm. So this is almost like an adaptation that our mind has come up with because relatively speaking, currency is a new thing. Like, I don't know what, uh, when did people start using money? I guess I don't know, but let's say it was within the last 2000 years. Mm -hmm. People started using money, you know, the human brain as it currently exists has, has, I don't know exactly how long, but let's say over a million years, probably. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Well, actually, that's probably not right. I don't know. Uh, it just seems that this is a new thing for us. This is a way. It seemed to me, at least, that this was a, a way for our minds to adapt to this thing that we created called currency. Do you think it has? Now what? God. Do you think it has anything to do with um, people being more willing to swipe their credit card because they can't see the money? Is that the same? thing or is that different it's funny that you brought that up because um i didn't read into the study itself but uh they they were talking about credit cards and alternate payment methods yeah and that does seem to increase spending yeah i i get that for sure Uh, but one of the funnier parts about this is while people prefer, or not necessarily prefer, but people spend money easily easily when it's in smaller denominations, mm-hmm. almost unanimously people prefer to receive money in larger denominations. <laughs> <Goes both laughs> so ways. I want that $100 bill. I don't want those 520s. Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. It's just silly. Uh, but this one's interesting, too. Uh, we don't have to go into it, but... Uh, it does have applications for like things like monetary policy for a government. Like you might, uh, it also has implications in the stock market. You, if you can identify this bias in a particular market, you might be able to manip, not manipulate the market, but you might be able to buy and sell stock and beat, beat the crowd because yeah, you're the one right. who's identified that this is happening and you say, ah, I see that's happening. I'm going to, I'm going to go this other direction. Right. Hmm. So this one's like got a bit of social engineering attached to it. So I thought it was interesting. Ooh, I like that term. Yeah. I don't know if it's positive or negative though. I don't think it, uh, yeah, I'm not really convinced one way or the other on that one. Yeah. It, uh, I guess it could be positive in the sense that if you have larger bills, you're more willing to save or you're, you're more inclined to save and well, you got to look at, at <clears throat> um, what perspective are you from or coming from? Cause if you're looking at the person with the money, it's positive, but if you're looking at yep. economically, it's better market. for yeah, people yeah. to spend, right? That's very true. Very true. It's all about perspective, Brian. I wonder where that Barry center is. Can't quite see it yet, but we're coming on it. It's coming up. <laughs> um, so just, okay, so we can, I can wrap up my part here. We've been going, we're getting there. Um, so just a couple others that I picked out just that people might um, 
have heard of or, or just I thought were interesting without exploring too much. The framing effect, you can take a singular piece of information and you could take a population of 50 people and potentially get 50 different interpretations of that information, um, depending specifically depending on how that information is presented. So this heart, this uh, has applications in like survey questions. If you ask, if you write down a question on a survey and you ask the question in a particular way, you can potentially drive the answer that you want. Oh yeah, for sure. I deal with that right? at work all the time. Right, right. So that's called the framing effect. Absolutely. That one is for sure real. The, <laughs> the gambler's fallacy or the hot hand fallacy, hmm. the tendency to think that future probabilities are altered by past events. So I've oh, been shooting yeah. three point I've been shooting three pointers all night. I'm gonna I, this next one's gotta be a three pointer. Or I've flipped ten heads in a row, the next one's gotta be tails. Which, of course, both of those things, it's not true. Now, the counter I think of to that is regression to the mean. Do you know that term? Yeah, given enough yeah. data, you're going to... You're going to, yeah. yeah. So if... I'm thinking if it's a, if it's a binary situation like the example you just gave the with coin a flip. coin flip, then it's not totally unreasonable to think, okay, I've flipped... Right? Am I? Am I? Or am I not thinking about? Well, that I think practically speaking, you're correct because. But the trouble there is, how many coin flips are you going to do? Yeah, because I mean, looking at every coin flip individually, it's, it's the probability 50%. is fifty percent every time. Doesn't matter. But um, and theoretically, given any number of coin flips, well, actually, not given any number, but given an infinite number of coin flips, what's the percentage? 50. Yeah, but what's the probability that it's going to be heads every time? Uh, very, very low. Right. But it exists. Mm -hmm. But I think by and large, the, the it's not true in the, in the sense that just because you got 50 heads in a row, it is not true that the next one is more likely to be tails. It's just not true. True. Yeah. Okay. You, I can see how you might think that, mm -hmm. but statistically speaking, mm -hmm. um, this one's silly. Rhyme as reason is a cognitive bias whereupon basically rhyming. Uh, sorry, information. If you rhyme the information, it seemed to be more truthful what? than non-rhyming. So here's the here's the most ridiculous example. If it does not fit, you must acquit. The OJ that was the line OJ or at least his lawyer uh, uh, said so regarding the glove. He rhymed. If the glove was does that on not purpose? fit, yep, motherfucker. When sobriety conceals. What sobriety conceals alcohol unmasks. That's not really a rhyme, but <laughs> basically, well, that sorry, that was an example. And as I read it out loud, I was like, wait a second, this doesn't rhyme. <laughs> we talk about uh, rhymes yeah. here. We just <laughs> what is this? And yeah, Johnny Cochran uh, said that, not uh, not OJ himself. Yeah, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. 
That's crazy. So yeah, information is is perceived to be more truthful if it's presented with a rhyming scheme attached to it. Isn't is that, that just, just because you're like, okay, yes, those things go together? <sighs> so I, you're I, thinking positive even... thoughts towards it? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where this one yeah. begins and ends. It's almost like it's a, it's. So you say it's the, it's the... more likely to be perceived to be true. True or accurate. Right. But what's, I mean, you could ask this about all of these, but that's not going to work on everybody. I mean, are we talking 70% of people here are going to be like influenced by this or having this cognitive bias or is it everybody? Or, I don't you know Stuff like that. I, I don't have those numbers yeah. necessarily, but, God and actually it. I realized what I did there. I skipped over my, my show note there. Okay. What sobriety conceals alcohol reveals. Uh. That statement was judged to be more accurate than a different statement, uh, but equally factual or equal. It's communicates the same message, which is what sobriety conceals alcohol unmasks. So change the word reveals to unmasks. Yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah, I don't like so the, the participants. Yeah. The participants <laughs> in that study preferred the first one. They preferred the one that they preferred the one that rhymed. That's sneaky brain. So we'll be coming up very shortly with a wandering Barry center rhyme. Yeah, you better believe that... we're coming at you with some rhymes <laughs> that incentivizes you to listen. I don't know what these guys are saying, but it's definitely correct. <laughs> it sounds good. So it yeah. must be good. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the ones that I pulled out. Um, nice. Well, that was fun. Yeah. And we maybe, maybe someday we'll, we'll come back to that list. Cause again, I mean, it's, yeah, why not? It's huge. Yeah. And some awesome. of them have phenomenal names. They're fun too. to dissect. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, the way I'm gonna, I'm gonna find the very center here, going back to your first one, um, ambiguity effect, ambiguity effect. So what I want to talk about, um, is the nine to five workday and where that comes from and the culture kind of in and out of work that comes along with it. So I think the way I'm connecting it to your, your ambiguity effect is that is what the first, at least in our culture and society, that's the first thing you're presented with as what you should do for a career. Yep. And so that becomes the comfortable option. I dig it. Yeah. Right. Very center found. Very center. I'm rotating. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I started Let out. Let me just. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say nine to five sucks. <sighs> yeah. So this might get a little passionate um, from the both of us because just current situations and yeah, the whole thing. But I think it's important to talk about. Um, because I think a lot of people don't really think about it or realize, and maybe people do realize it, but they're, they don't care. I'm not sure, but that there are other options. But anyway, so I started out by thinking, all right, so what is like, you know, the day in the life of somebody, a typical person that works a nine to five job or an eight hour job? Um, so, you know, you're, Waking up in the morning, you might have some time to do, like, something before work. You have a little bit of time there. Maybe you go to the gym. Maybe you just have some 
morning routine, but then you get maybe ready you for sleep. work. You what? You sleep more? Maybe you just sleep more. Yeah, maybe you, you just sleep and you get up and you um, you get ready work. for work. That's probably most typical. Uh, then you're driving to work. That's definitely a part of it. I mean, unless you, maybe you're not driving. You could be walking or biking or public transit, but somehow you got to get there unless you work from home, but that wouldn't really be in this nine to five. I would say I'm leaving that out real quick. In which case, if you do work from home, congratulations on at least on some level escaping the rat, the rat race. Yeah. So you're not missing anything there. Um, yeah. And then, so, so getting to work. So once you get to work, you're there for eight hours. Um, you're doing your thing for eight hours, whether you want, which is a huge amount of time, a huge amount of time. I mean, considering that, you know, it's recommended that you sleep for eight hours. That's, that's 16 hours out of 24, um, done. taken up done right there. So, and let that's, and, and as you said, that's not even counting the travel time. Right. So re- I work with someone who commutes an hour and 15 minutes every day. Okay. Yeah. One so way, one way. If they're working eight hours, which, you know, it's not unlikely that they're going to work more because that's, we'll get into that too. Um, that's on average in this country, people are working actually more than eight hours. Um, yep. And then you're leaving work, you get home, you have maybe some post work routine for a couple hours at most, uh, and then back to sleep. So I think kind of where I was going with this in a way I wanted to, or the reason I wanted to lay it out, um, is because that giant eight hour block of time, regardless of what you're doing with your other hours in your day, I mean, that's, you're structuring your day around that no matter what, right? You just can't get around it. It's there. It's consistent. It's constant. So everything else, whether it's more important or less important to you, is structured around that. Um, And that's, I mean, that's every day of the week. So that's significant, in my opinion. Um, Okay, so naturally, trying to play um, the unbiased contrary to your topic, approach to this, uh, looking at pros and cons. So, um, I guess I'll just ask you what you, you think I've got some listed out, but that I thought of, but what do you think are the pros of having a nine to five? I knew this is you are going to start. I was, as soon as you said, um, <laughs> the pros, to, I mean, and be honest, you don't have to, I know you're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. both salty about the whole thing, but there's gotta be we some, are. right? <laughs> we are quite salty. <laughs> It's the, it's the spark for this entire show. So, yeah, right. It is absolutely. Um, I mean, I guess I'm struggling. I guess I'm not sure exactly what goal we're necessarily trying to wrap positivity around. But like, well, on a certain level, what's good for work... you about it? I guess. Oh, what's good for me about yeah, it? Yeah, let's start um, there. I guess on a certain level, the structure aspect of it mm-hmm. is a positive uh, because I know what to expect. Yep. Right. Going so back to that I first can, one, your yep, first example. I can plan. Yeah. Right. I can plan. Or, right. Right. <laughs> I. Um, yeah, I can plan around it. Yeah. Um, right. So yeah, I guess I guess the structure of that mm-hmm. is is okay. Um, 
Yeah, so I had job stability written down, which is similar to yeah. what you're saying. You know, you can yep. you can reliably know that as long as you're not fucking up at your job, most people you don't get fired if you don't, um, or if you're just doing your job, right? I mean, unless there's right, some right. company issues or whatever. But as long as you're doing your job, you're not likely to get fired. So you've got some stability there. This isn't really a positive at the start, but it's become a positive. Uh, the rest, I, I guess there's negatives to it as well, but uh, a lot of the rest of the, the world operates on that schedule. So like hanging out with friends or whatever, yes. if, if, if we agree that we need money mm-hmm. and that work has to happen anyway, uh, if everybody's on a similar schedule, then everybody has their weekends, right? And right. we can all go party and, and have a good time. Yep. However, obviously the from the very beginning, I would have said that it's not a positive just off the get-go because we should be able to hang out whenever we want. Right, but right. that's ignoring the fact that in the current culture, we need money and all that stuff. Right. Yeah, that's one of the, um, the big ones I wrote down um, just to expand on that. Um, so you said like hanging out with friends and everybody's on their same schedule. So, um, Which I guess is really similar to the first one. Yeah. Um, so along with that, you kind of are able to, you know, businesses that you might go to for a service or whatever are going to operate around that schedule too. So, um, you know, you can reliably know when things will be open and closed, generally speaking, you know, it's not like, um, the tire shop's going to be open only from 2am to whatever, (laughs) because that's when they want it. fucking do it. So, um. Yeah, so you can kind of expect businesses to be on that schedule along with your friends and family. Um, it also, it also again, I'm, I'm, we're, I'm digging deep here. Mm-hmm. Um, if Again, if we agree that work has to happen, having the, the bulk of the 9 to 5, the bulk of the people on the 9 to 5 sort of rotation, does then, it then spawns an entire industry around what those people do in their time off. Sure. So you totally right. Yeah. Yep. That's interesting. That's a good point. Huh? But is that really a positive or is that more just an outcome? I'd say just an outcome. Right. Right. Um, so one of the other pros I came up with, um, was let's pretend for a second that the nine to five didn't exist at all. And everybody, you know, obviously there'll be some overlap, but everybody for the sake of the argument, has their own schedules doing their own thing. It's all over the map. Um, there would be no regulation surrounding how much people are forced to work. Most likely, or at least I don't think it would have come about in the same way. So right now, you know, the nine to five is a regulated thing. Like, um, and we can get into it a little bit more, but it used to be a not regulated or when it first became regulated, um, was much longer. So for the people that are participating in the nine to five, you, there are laws behind you supporting you that you can't be, you know, forced to work 24 hours a day or whatever, or something crazy. Um, Hmm. so that is maybe not a pro if you weren't in the nine to five, but if you are, then the pro is that you kind of, going back to being able to know what to expect. Um, there's some, there's some regulation. Yeah. There's some regulation behind it to just, so you can be assured that you're not going to be overworked. 
Now, I... Th- but people do work crazy overtime, right? So I guess you do just... I don't know. Maybe you can turn that down. I'm not sure. Or I know you're compensated most often for working overtime. I'm not sure. Um, but there are regulations behind it, so... Yeah, because you get people. I mean, I've I've had a couple weeks like this. I, I'm pretty sure you have. But you, when you start approaching like 80 hours in a in a work week, mm-hmm. like you're ready to to murder people. It's it's not good. No, it's not healthy either. Now, if you're working eight out 80 hours a week and you're doing 80 hours of work, that's one thing. I think what might be worse is being forced to work eight hours, but only having half that of actual work to do. Because then there's just, you're wasting time, you're wasting your own time, you're wasting whatever employer's time and money. Um, Yeah, and it's not like, it's not like you can necessarily sit there and work on some other skill. No, there's no productivity happening. It's just just wasted time. time, as opposed to working 80 hours sucks, but ultimately you're subjecting yourself to that you could quit um but if you're doing 80 hours of work something's being accomplished most likely but even but the point still stands even if it come back down to 40 hours a week if you are only working for 20 of the 40 i guess the only benefit is that you are getting paid for the other 20 of dead time but you're what you're getting paid for in in you're losing in in not Furthering yourself, right? It's it's um. Oh, I'm. Trying you are to and you are time. not wasting time in a, yeah. in, a, in a certain sense. Yeah, it's like the the value added thing where um, I'm probably gonna mess up this example, but um, let's okay, I'm gonna bring it back to cars because that's what I do. Um, let's <laughs> say I spend six hours fixing something on my own car. Um, I save $200 by doing that. I could have paid somebody $400 to do it for me and gone and worked for those six hours and made more than that difference, right? It's kind of similar to that, I guess. If you're mm-hmm. you're wasting time at work, you could be doing something that's more beneficial to you. Right. Right. There's a name for that. I just don't know what it is. All right. So those are some pros. Maybe that list is short, but... Naturally, I was gonna say this. Not hating on your, <laughs> not hating stopped. on your topic. More, more the thing <laughs> itself. But those are those are some weak bros. Yep, that's where I stopped. Um. <laughs> so cons then. Now, before we jump into this list, I, I had to tell myself the cons. Again, we have to agree that work has to happen. Yes. So our con, our cons are not. Yes. Working let's. Sucks. I mean, let's assume that if you're not doing the nine to five, you're working. In some other fashion. Yep. Right. Let's yep. let's not make the alternative be sitting on the couch all day. So. All right. So the cons. So the I cons. Got a lot of them. Yeah. Um, I'll start. <laughs> the first one that I mean that came to mind for me is just how monotonous it can be for people. And sure. some people I don't think mind that necessarily. Um, maybe it's comforting, but I think a lot of people do mind that. Um, so I think that's a huge one is you just get into a mind numbingly repetitive routine or you can depending on the job, I suppose. Sure. 
Um, naturally, it can limit the things that people actually want to do. <laughs> that eight-hour chunk of time, if it's not something you're truly passionate about. Um, but you, you get sucked into that because you don't really see another way to support yourself or your family or whatever. Um, it's preventing you. Let's, yeah, let's say that, you know, you could have been some super successful music artist or something, but instead you went to the, the nine to five route and got stuck there and never realized that potential, um, now, I'm not saying you couldn't, you didn't do good things in that job that you're in, but it might not be truly what you wish you had accomplished. Um, and then the last one I had written was just like the social pressure to get into that system is mm-hmm. pretty negative, in my opinion. Um, yeah, for me, at least when we we were growing up, the pressure not and not even necessarily, well. It wasn't like people were like, you got to go get a nine to five, but it was, you got to go get a you job. You got to go get a job. And but most jobs are nine right, to five. Right. I mean, or nine to whenever. Think about how often. Um, mine's eight. Mine's eight to five. What am I even saying? Nine to five. <laughs> well, that's the term people know, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, the, the point is, is a, you have to be somewhere for eight hours a day. Yep. Um, but yeah, growing up in school, I mean, how often were you encouraged to be like an entrepreneur or something as opposed to just going dude becoming I, a I would re- becoming a this becoming a that i would routinely freak out about i mean you should think about it but and this is also just me but i would routinely be like oh my god what the hell am i going to do with my life yeah. like what right yeah and you should think about that but i i, I don't know I, i've learned that and it could be a product like almost, of where we grew up as opposed to somebody sure, else. Everybody's sure. going to have their own experiences. Yeah. No doubt about that. But So what are some other cons that you would think of? Um, for me, the two, the two ones that popped in my head right away were the, the requ- sort of the wasting time thing. Mm-hmm. If I can get what you're paying me to do done in 20 hours, if it's clearly defined what you're paying me to do, mm-hmm. Why should why do I have to stick around for those uh, other twenty hours? Yeah, seriously. So that's a huge one. Yeah. Now the trouble there is like at least I'll use my example. Where I'm at, theoretically, the work is endless. Right, for sure. So they're paying me they really are paying me to do as much as I can get done. Yeah. Yeah. So that one doesn't always hold up, but for like uh, I guess maybe like a data entry job. I'm reaching here, but you know, okay, today you've got to enter in these 80 things. Mm-hmm. If you get those 80 things done in four hours, yeah. why do you have to sit there? Right. But I bet, I bet the endless amount of work probably applies to a lot of people. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And then also for like maybe a job like a bank teller, you're at the mercy of, uh, they're, they are actually paying you to stand at the teller window for eight hours and serve anybody who comes along. So you're mm-hmm. you're literally being paid for right. to, for like that a, time. So that a one defined really start up. and a shift system as right. opposed to right. Yeah. The other major one that I thought of uh, specifically the nine to five style, you know, that time of the day. Some of the best work that I've ever done, a lot of the best, actually, most of the good work that I have done 
usually my brain starts like I, I find the muse, I get into the groove probably around four o'clock in the afternoon. Really? It doesn't always happen and early mornings are also very productive. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess what I, I really want to say here is that the middle of the day sucks. Yeah. Yeah. In in the sense of in the sense at least for me trying to be productive. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm very productive uh, maybe an hour after I get up, and I'm very productive towards the end of the day. But especially if you toss in a big lunch, (laughs) (laughs) you kind of have a down a downward trend there. Yeah, well, yeah, and not even necessarily from like the whole gluten thing. You know, if you eat a bunch of pizza, your your body's like, holy shit, we got to digest all (laughs) this. That makes you tired. Yeah. But even just the social aspect of going out, getting a lunch, oh yeah, uh, you know, all that kind of gets me out of the yeah, it knocks you out of your yeah your routine, your groove. So I would say that's a big one for me. Is like just personally speaking, the 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 actual time in the day that I'm supposed to be at work, I find frustrating sometimes. Yeah, right. Yeah, I've, I've had maybe maybe it's a combination of things, but like four o'clock, people start. You know, some people show up at seven, so they leave at four or whatever. Yeah. So four o'clock, the things start quieting down, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, the, that's when you start the, firing. The creative, yeah, the creative juices really get going for me mm-hmm. between like four and seven. Yeah, I'm definitely more of a you know start early and and trail off. The end of the day is not as productive as. Um, I would say the beginning for me, but, um, but yeah, just goes to say that everybody's different. So yeah. So maybe that's the con putting a like, uh, defined yeah. block on it. So, I mean, and some jobs are, I'm flexible and when I can show up and leave, I'll, I'll you know, within reason, yeah, I shouldn't yeah. show up at <laughs> I'm showing up at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to dig into the history a little bit. Um, cause I was trying to figure out where the hell all this came from and where it started and who do we, bl- who do who we, do we bl- <laughs> <laughs> that's what I want to know. Where does my finger point? Um, yeah. So kind of like some other things we've talked about actually it started around the time of the industrial revolution, which makes sense. Um, cause before that it, jobs were restricted by a couple things, mainly, um, you know, if you're doing like farm jobs and stuff, mm. you're restricted by seasons. So the type of work you're and doing, and the time of day, exactly. That's the next one is the lack of light. Oh, sorry, sorry, no, no, you're good. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, the lack of light means I can't, I can't work for that. You know, the, that time of day and for that many hours, like especially depending real, on the season. Real quick digression on that. Mm. I've thought about this a number of times, but. How crazy is it that, like, the time of candles was basically the first time anybody was able to do anything after the sun went down? <laughs> like, seriously, like, year zero, let's pretend you don't have candles, like, uh, whatever year it was, you don't have any candles. The sun goes, like, oh, the sun's down, like, that's it. That's it. Like, <laughs> we're done here. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's... So, so for me, as well, we're recording Well, I mean, you this, could make a... A fire. Uh, yeah, but what am I going to get done? That... Nothing. You're not going to do anything. Yeah. No, I mean, imagine how great that must feel, though, to totally be in sync on a yeah on a natural schedule. 
like that. Ar- arguably, it's the way we're supposed to be, right? I was gonna, I, mean, I was gonna turn around and say that I'm sure. light and artif- artificial light, you know, the ability to stay up to eleven, twelve all night, is is wholly unnatural. So the only other thing I can think of would be, um, depending on the time of, uh, or just the moon. Sometimes the moon's bright enough where you don't need. That's true. But that's not always, so you're probably so maybe, more maybe likely you get some, to just not rely. Maybe on you that. get some hunting in or some fishing in at that time. Yeah, that's what yeah. I. That's what I would do. I would go fishing on those nights. Hell yeah, it's fish like full moons. I think. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds nice right I've, now. Yeah, I've caught fish on both. Or I, I should say, on full moon nights, I both have and have not mm-hmm. caught fish. So I probably just said I'm a shitty fisherman. <laughs> Let the tweets come in, I dare you. <laughs> so initially, um, um, yeah. in this industrial revolution time, when we started being able to work like a regular schedule like that, the hours were like 12 to 16 hours a day. Uh, five to six days a week was pretty average. So, oh. Yeah. So there weren't really any regulations, and it was just more cost efficient to work more. So you know, less downtime Dude. of your machines or whatever you're doing. So I think what you just said was stop bitching, Brian. Uh, no, they, they just had a really shitty. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no Dude. getting around that. Um, yeah. So I think the whole 40 hour a week thing, uh, basically happened after world war two is what I okay. came to. So you just got more regulation. Uh, and then um, as inflation, or even with inflation, rather, um, I guess after the war, people just, relatively speaking, started making more money. So they were like, screw sure. you. We don't need to work that much. I, ha- I This is enough. I'd rather go do other things. So that was refreshing to read. <laughs> yeah, so I think after that, it kind of it settled at that 40 mark, and it's just kind of where it stayed um, for a while. Um, so I started to dig into, like, laws and regulations across different um, countries. See who's working the most, who's working the least. Yep. Um, so most mandated you know, by law, work hours are in that 40 to 45 hours a week range. That's pretty typical. So as far as our laws go, we're right there. Um, now, I don't know. So these are max mandated, I guess, by law. And I don't really know, like I said before, how that how that's treated. Because uh, in France, it's 35 hours. So I guess that's all your, that's the maximum you're forced to work in a sense. Or like that's the maximum an employer can make you work. And if you work overtime, that's when overtime pay starts or you have the option to decline. I'm not really sure. Hmm. But yeah, so France is at 35 a week. Um, And let me just have you guess who and how much for the high. Oh, um, my gut was Germany. No, actually, but... Germany's really low. Oh, okay. Um, who makes their people work the most, yeah. basically? Yeah. Uh, 
Russia? Uh, nope. North Korea. Oh shit! Of course. <laughs> and you know what the number is? I didn't is? even know that was a. I didn't even know that was an option to choose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it shouldn't be. It's definitely an outlier. Uh, yeah, guess that number. It's, it's north of sixty. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! What's one hundred and twelve? Whoa! I was gonna say, please don't say more than eighty. One hundred and twelve, I guess, is. So what that says to me is, dude, it's just, what is that? I think oh, it's got to be spread over. That's spread out over the whole week. I hope. Well, I yeah, I'm sure. I think that's because they probably still have labor camps going on. Yeah. Right. So what was that? 112. Yeah. That's 16 hours a day, or a day. Yeah. Yeah. So <sighs> I think they right. They've still got that going on. Oh yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. I think that's probably and where that number's coming from depending on what satellite images you want to look at and what stories you want to believe, uh, it appears that the labor camps have exploded in size under Kim Jong-un. Wow. Yeah. So that's sad. That is sad. I'm sure the people working the totally legit ski resort are not working 112 (laughs) hours a week. Maybe, though. Um, Yeah, so uh, I thought this number was higher. Um... But this is taking into account everybody reporting income um, from a job, I think, in the U.S. So the average is like 38 hours um, of actual time worked. That probably includes part-time jobs. Yeah, I think it does. So I think that's why these numbers seem low. Um, Italy, at least the time of these numbers were created, was about 20 hours a week. Um, and then others in the top five lowest are like Germany, Poland, Belgium, France, and Netherlands. So, did you happen to know where Spain is? Negative. I didn't pull them. Mm. There's a there's a tradition in Spain. If I have my facts straight here, basically a lot of them. <clears throat> excuse me. Maybe this is a Barcelona thing specifically, but the entire month of August is like everybody just bails. That sounds great. Yeah, right. So, uh, so I wondered if I wondered if they had a yeah. a pretty lax culture. Anyway, well, I think most European countries are kind of heading towards that um, shorter work week hours and more times I was gonna... or more vacation time. I think um, I read four to six weeks is like a typical amount of vacation to get right off the bat, whereas yep. here it's two. And I'm probably stealing some thunder here, but I think, or I know that, I can't remember who, it's probably Switzerland or the Netherlands or something, but somebody's already, uh, they're trialing the four-day work yes, week already. Yes, yes, I, I did read about that, and I failed to write it down for some reason, but um, yeah, somebody is experimenting with that. I thought it was so France, a, but... That's an eight-hour day, but you only go, basically have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Mm. Would you take Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Saturday, Sunday, Monday? Um, I almost kind of want to take the Monday. I'm off. I'm leaning towards the Monday because I almost want to like help Monday out. Monday gets a bad <laughs> rap. <laughs> Monday does get shit on. And I'm actually usually feeling pretty good on Mondays too, until I get to work. Another, another huge <laughs> digression. But uh, I was reading maybe it was NPR that was telling me about it. But um. 
like if you're gonna get surgery or like go see a doctor mm-hmm. Tuesday and Wednesday before lunch are the times you want to go especially for surgery Tuesday and Wednesday so basic and specifically also before lunch mm, okay so basically Monday they're still getting back into the groove from the weekend so they're more likely to make a mistake Tuesday and Wednesday they're in the groove and the specifically before lunch thing, I guess, just deals with, like, they're just fresher, right? Yeah, right. Um, and then, yeah, Thursday, Friday, they're thinking about the weekend. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. No no facts on that, so, you know, grain of salt and all that. But. <laughs> um, all right, so I think <clears throat> we can't really finish this without talking about alternatives. Save us, please. <laughs> um. So, I mean, the, the obvious one is, is be an entrepreneur, right? Which is a loaded statement. That's, that's right, saying a lot. Right, because the – well, not only just go be an entrepreneur, but uh, my understanding – any – most successful people, at least in the beginning, you're putting in more than 40. For sure. Yeah, so you don't want to just be an entrepreneur for something you don't give a crap about. Right. But arguably, that that time you're putting in up front, if you're passionate about what you're doing, hopefully you get to a place where it doesn't even feel like work. Right. Um, so the other one that's definitely more controversial is um, like a standard income, mm. right, where people are given a base rate regardless of, you know, you could work no job and just take that handout and, um, and, and live life as you choose, use it to progress further at something or just live that, you know, at that pay rate and be happy with it or whatever, depending on if it's enough or not to do that. But, um, universal, universal income. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I could definitely see where that could go well and that it would enable people to pursue passions without worrying about putting food on the table potentially, but I could also see it being abused. Mm-hmm. So not really sure about yeah, that. <laughs> my my gut reaction to that one is it's a, it's a good idea. The implementation is a, is another thing. Um, but I think it also has to be coupled with, so we're, we're, I think we're already in it when we, when we look back in history at this time, Mm -hmm. uh, we're in this transition period, right? Where like in the early days of the industrial revolution, it was like, look how much more time you'll have because of this machine, this vacuum, this vacuum lets you clean the house in half the time it took you before. Um, and we sort of lost sight of what that was supposed to be in the sense that like people right now are, are, are a lot of people are, are worried about like automation taking their jobs. Yeah. And in the short term, sure, that that doesn't feel good. But the ultimate goal, in my opinion, is to get to a point where like you don't have to work if you don't want to. Yeah. That's funny that you bring that up because that was the last thing I'd written down is shouldn't technology being allowed or shouldn't technology be allow us to work less 
when in fact yeah it should <clears throat> basically now we have constant access to email and phone and whatever you're almost like a lot of people are almost on call all the time right because uh, i am yeah so all the time i regretted giving my you know personal phone number to my professor in college at most of the time because that meant I was always reachable, and it was exploited, and it was horrible. There were so many times where I was like, please go just away. go away. <laughs> I can't, you know, do this constantly. Um, so if you if you gave me a universal income, I, I could see, like, myself, like, a universal income, and then I'd probably work, like, 20 hours a week right that seems pretty awesome right and spend go to work go to work monday tuesday wednesday yeah i mean there you go there's you're gaining done yeah yeah i and you get you only have to go for six hours on each of those or well what is that uh not quite six a little more than six but it sounds quite nice compared to current situation sounds amazing six and a half hours whatever it is yeah, so that's kind of where I ended up with the whole thing. Um, kind of just wanted to talk through it, honestly, and flush it out a little bit. <laughs> um, because it's so... Oh, oh, I, I think we need a better solution, though, of course. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Cause... There's got to, I mean, it's been around for a while now, and it just seems very... It just doesn't seem we're, that applicable as, anymore. As you stated, we're, we're all suffering from that ambiguity effect. We went with the first thing, sort of. Maybe not the first thing, but by this point, it feels like the first option. Yeah, you don't want to. Yeah. You don't want to stray from that because it's what's comfortable. And I, I think part of the the supporting evidence for the shorter work week is that just ultimately people are just more productive. In a short, it seems it seems counterintuitive, but people appear to be more productive in those thirty-two hours yes. than they are over forty. Absolutely. Hours. Yeah, I think like if I knew most I, people are not working I, for their full 40 hours, at least in my experience, which is limited. No, I, I no, I would agree with you. So really say, saving everybody if, if you can do it in less. I would say almost on average, probably a lot of a lot of people are probably only working 32 hours. If you imagine two hours out of each of the five work days. Mm-hmm. Let's let's throw in bathroom breaks. Let's throw in well, the, that you can't really throw that in because you always got to do yeah. that. But let's let's throw in coffee breaks. Let's throw in those long coffee breaks that you're <laughs> telling telling yourself were accidental, but really you went up to the the break room with the express intent of finding someone to talk to for thirty minutes. <laughs> uh, the internet. The internet. <laughs> you're on Reddit. You're on Reddit at least thirty minutes a day. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Now, the question, though, that if I were a manager uh, who's who's trying to keep the 40 hours, I would say to you, okay, well, sure, maybe you're wasting that time, but you're going to continue to waste that same amount of time on the 32-hour right. schedule. So ultimately, I'm the right. one who's it's losing out. That wasted that... time's budgeted for, basically. Right. Yeah. Which... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. It's the evidence, sure. or is the the unsourced evidence that I'm referencing, is uh, the unsourced. Say that that's yeah. not true. 
<laughs> Ooh, this is a long one. We're uh, we're approaching an hour and a half. This might be our our longest one yet. I think you might be right. Is anybody still listening? <laughs> Say something anybody weird. Is anybody out there? <laughs> um. So yeah, anything else on the uh... tweet? The number seven to Wandering Barry Center. <laughs> if you're still listening, you know nobody's nobody can listen live, right? Oh, I suppose they, oh yeah, well, they yeah, just tweet if, the number seven and, and at us a later. week from now, all of a sudden <laughs> seven shows up. Ding ding ding. That would be, that would be <laughs> You know it would be weirder as if I thought this was live this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been lying to you this whole time. Oh my god. Now I kinda wish I had done that. Oh. I would hope it would have have taken me till episode thirteen to figure that out. <laughs> Why is nobody participating or like <laughs> posting in the group right? chat? Our rate view have. count seems super low. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I think that might do it for now. Yeah, I think so. So uh, be aware of your cognitive biases. Careful of that hot hand fallacy. <sighs> That's right. And don't always don't always go with your first decision even if you really really want to. But but go with your first decision. It's usually right. Oh, I literally just sorry, I uh was just scrolling through and I just was closing the window. There's one literally called the IKEA effect. Oh god. What happens there? The ten the tendency for people to place a disproportionately high value on objects that they partially assemble themselves, such as furniture from Ikea. Dude, that's way what too specific. F- that's a little creepy. That's got to be, that's going to be a sponsored Wikipedia link. That's just a desire to feel accomplished. Like, I built that. Yeah, see, that's right. Some of these are definitely a little, a little wonky. I mean, it's not that it's not a cognitive bias, but it just doesn't seem worth labeling as that (laughs) but here's the thing though not to spend too much time on this because we're trying to wrap up but you instantly knew once i started explaining it you instantly figured it out yeah so yeah it it is a thing for sure i would say to some degree but anyway all right i think that is enough for this week thanks thanks for listening everyone thank you we'll catch you next week peace out